to be a pivotal evening. Pereira, is this his moment? Yes, it is. There's a certain validation that you get as a striker when you do hit the back of the net. It felt amazing, you know. I said it in the beginning that I wanted to focus on having a good game. Carrera! Just gonna keep working on my game. Um, not, to, not focus on the goals because I know they will come. No flag. Live and underway here on ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Her great to be with you after a weekend of mismatches across the CONCACAF Champions League. Mismatches? What you talking about? No? No, you, you said those were good games? <laughs> no, I'm just you said CONCACAF Champions League. I didn't see any Champions League. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, CONCACAF Nations, Nations League, League, of there course, you go. is what get we're talking right. about. Yes, of course. We always get it right on the uh, Football Americas <laughs> podcast, especially... Ladies and gentlemen, on this edition of the show, jam-packed show, we got Julie Foudy going to join us. Reaction to the U.S. women's national team roster that dropped early on Monday. Lots to discuss there. Mauricio Pedrosa going to join us as well as we talk about Mexico's participation, not in the CONCACAF Champions League, in the CONCACAF Nations League. Uh, and last but not least, Leon Lecanda is going to join us with a report from Qatar as Costa Rica gets set to play New Zealand in the World Cup qualifying intercontinental Playoff, But let's start with the U.S. men's national team who took a very positive first step, Herc, in the defense of their CONCACAF Nations League title. Took place on Friday night in Austin. Game hope many of you watched right here on ESPN+. Plus. Final score, 5-0. But the big headline, Herc, Jesus Ferreira's four goals. It ties a national team record for most goals in a game. But Herc, when it comes to the starting job up top, was Ferreira's four spot. Or poker, something, nothing, or everything? It was everything, Seb. Everything, especially to the two people it matters most to. Jesus Ferreira and Greg Berhalter. I'll start with Jesus. Jesus desperately needed these goals. He desperately needed to score to get the monkey off his back, to prove, to validate Greg Berhalter, including him in so many starting lineups. He needed that in a time when not many were scoring. And Greg Berhalter needed this as well. And this is why it's everything for Greg Berhalter because he needed a nine who was not only consistently scoring at club, but could also do it now at the international level. A player that he's not had since Ricardo Pepe's very first inclusion with the national team where he was doing very well with FC Dallas and doing very well with the U.S. men's national team. He doesn't have that nine right now. There seems to be only a few nines that are in form, be it at the club level, but they've not proven it at the international level. Now he could say he has one guy that's doing that. Now, I know where you're going with this. I know exactly what you want to say. Yeah. Four goals versus Granada, right? I'm going to say it, four goals against Granada. Yeah, I'm going to say this is nothing. I'm going to say it's nothing because of the competition. 
because not only is this team 170th in the world, which I know you want to ignore, but go through that lineup. That was a semi-pro team. Those are not guys in second or third tier football. Those are guys in like the sixth, seventh, or eighth tier of the English pyramid that they were playing against. I'll also say it's nothing, Herc, because I think if you look at the performance as a whole, it's nothing. If you want to focus on those four goals, fine, but at least acknowledge the first half, where not just Jesus Ferreira couldn't score for, what was it, 42, 43 minutes. The U.S., with Jesus Ferreira as this number nine who's supposed to facilitate everything, couldn't score. So I don't think it was that great a performance. And it's finally nothing for me, Herc, because at the end of the day, what's really going to decide who starts in Qatar is not what happens against Grenada, right? We agree here. It's going to be the hot hand. It has to be, doesn't it? It has to be the hot hand. I'm with you. Now, you can't say Jesus Ferreira scoring four goals is nothing. Uh, the U.S. has faced more Grenadas than they have Brazils in their history. And in the history of the U.S. men's national team, he's become only the fifth player to score four goals. Okay? Landon Donovan was one of those other players. It wasn't Eric Winalda. It wasn't Josie Altidore. It wasn't Clint Dempsey. It was Jesus Ferreira. So for everybody who wants to downplay the four goals, and albeit the system, you could mm -hmm. say whatever you want. You could say he might not be the starting nine. Whatever you want. But in its history, he's only the fifth player to ever do it. You're gonna face more Granadas, more Grenada, excuse me, than you will Brazils in this region. That's just a fact. But in that history, that mediocre history, only the fifth player to ever do it. So it can't be nothing. Well, look, you know who you're not gonna face at the World Cup is Grenada. Okay, so I, I don't think you can look for this level of competition and, and compare it. Do you think that Greg Berhalter already has um, you know, if goals are even, Ferreira penciled in as, as the starter day one of the World Cup? No, not, not, not as a starter. I do think he's got him on that flight. Mm. I, I do think, and you could hear by his post because you Because when you say this is everything for Burhalter, it makes me, makes me believe that, okay, he saw these four goals, and that's, that's the proof that he needs that this guy's going to be able to do it in, in Qatar. No, something tells me Greg Burhalter goes game by game with his starting choices and especially yeah and with that nine position in general if you mm -hmm. heard jesus Ferreira speak post game it's clearly sounded to me like he's being backed heavily by the national team coaching staff greg berhalter and his ex-coach now assistant coach in the u.s men's national team luchi gonzalez it seems to me like he's a confident player with his standing in that u.s men's national team setup I think Greg Berhalter's taking him on that flight. I don't think Greg Berhalter knows who his nine is. I don't think there's a nine right now who is clear-cut or a clear-cut front-runner. Yeah, I'm looking at the list. Ferreira, Pepe, Pifak, Haji, Sargent. Ferreira's probably the closest DK. to a guarantee, right? DK as well, sure. Yeah, we've got to see him get healthy. But um, Ferreira's probably the closest to a guarantee. And look, six or nine months ago, we would not have been saying that about Jesus Ferreira. Obviously, there's not that much time to a World Cup. There's not that many games. But there is still time. Things can change. Herc, let's uh, check the mentions, which we have been doing on you quite a bit recently. Uh, now, last week, it was about Yunus Musa. This week, uh, a little bit different, okay? Here's your tweet from the game on Friday. Is it crazy that Jesus Ferreira just scored four goals in a single game and Luca Della Torre is my man of the match? Now, this did not get quite the response of your Yunus Musa tweet. But uh, give me a thought here on Della Torre. What percentage chance do you see for him actually starting a game in the World Cup? 99.9999999%. Listen, my How many man, games do you think the U.S. is gonna play in this World Cup? Uh, 
Oh, that's a, it's a great question. Okay. Even if it's only three, I still think he gets a game. Really? He starts a game, yes. Uh, Luca De La Torre, this man is smooth on the ball. I'm talking about deep line playmaking ability. Now, there's a difference between Luca De La Torre and some of his counterparts in that midfield. Greg Berhalter has shown a penchant for using everybody on that roster. Now, he's come out of nowhere, but in every single game he's played, I've been left wondering why he doesn't play more. In a game, and this was a tweet you just read, where somebody scored four goals, I'm thinking to myself, but this guy was still the best player on the field. He was clearly head and shoulders above everybody. Luca Della Torre will play. Now, I think his skill set is better suited when playing a team that is sitting behind the ball. That is in a low block defensively. He play makes, he, he, he unlocks defenses with his passing, with his range, with his vision. This is a player I feel, for all intents and purposes, can be very useful for Greg Berhalter. I do see him starting one of those three games. At least. I, I, I would suggest that we take this with a grain of salt, kind of like we did for Jesus Ferreira, right? Again, this was a, a very good performance. Based, this isn't just based off of that performance. Right. I think you, you really were high on him in qualifying as well, the little bit that we saw of him there. Um, obviously, his club future is going to play a huge role in that. We know Heracles, the team that he was with uh, in Holland, got relegated. We know that there's an agreement in place. He's made that public. So it looks like he will get a move at some time this summer, Herc. I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing because that means he's got to go into a new club, get himself playing right away. And we know the season starts August. You basically are going to have to get some playing time by September, October to really have that, that count. It's a really deep midfield. I'm shocked for you to say 99.999%. Because that's Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of guys that he, you know, Adams and McKinney, they're pretty much starting every game. So that's one spot that you can really rotate. Um, and you're giving that one spot, at least in one of those games, to Luca Della Torre. Let me ask you this. Is it the first game against Wales or is it somebody else? Maybe somebody like a Yunus Musa, who I'll remember you weren't that high on last week. Right, well... Not just last week. I mean, Eunice Moussin, I've said this for a while now, with everybody healthy, with a healthy Gio Reyna, a healthy Brendan Aronson who could slot into that midfield, and now Luca De La Torre. Uh, and what he's shown us, I do think there is a bit of a rotation you could do there. There is an odd man out, if you will, uh, with Eunice. That said, Luca De La Torre can play multiple positions in that okay. midfield. He can play as a double six. He can play as an eight. Uh, Who's this better man, versus Wales? I think it's probably Eunice, uh, because in a transition game, if a team like Wells tries to, for one second, press you with his dribbling ability uh, through the midfield, breaking of lines, I think that can be beneficial going forward for the U.S. men's national team. But against a team that sits, a team that you need to, for whatever reason, unlock, that is Luca. All right. Next up for the U.S., Herc, it's away against El Salvador on Tuesday. Now, I know you're watching the pregame show on ESPN+, and you probably heard Greg Berhalter hinting there that he was going to be saving some of his players for the game against El Salvador because it would be a, a stiffer test, right? He wanted to kind of see what those players could do. So with that in mind, who do you think then has the most to gain Tuesday night? Okay, I'll, I'll start with the first. The first is clearly Haji Wright. Uh, Haji Wright is in the last chance uh, saloon, if you will, here. Haji Wright is on the outside looking in. Haji Wright has to do whatever he can to imprint mm -hmm. his mark, to imprint 
that burning memory of him doing well in Cuscatlan uh, versus El Salvador. So Greg Berhalter doesn't forget about him because this is the last game till September. And come September, you have two games and then it's World Cup time. So if I'm Greg Berhalter, I'm thinking, all right, I got to get my 26 mm. here. I got to start getting them gelling here. And that's September uh, FIFA fixture window date, if you will. So Haji Wright has this game in a place where historically the U.S. men's national team has not done well. In a setting where they've not done well in this World Cup cycle, which is away from home. And he's got to be the man. This is his last chance. This is his chance of World Cup, of a World Cup spot of maybe World Cup glory, if you will. It happens here because if he can't do it here, I don't think there's a September uh, fixture date in his future. It may be unfair in the eyes of most that he gets mm -hmm. a stiffer challenge in, in what is El Salvador, but this is the hand he's been dealt and this is what hey, he really has to do. As a player, you think it's unfair? There's two trains of thoughts here. Now, the train of thought that most people will say, well, if you can't do it versus El Salvador, you shouldn't go to the World Cup. But forget about that for a second. I'll take you to the train of thought of the players who have been there that cycle. Greg Berhalter is saying, listen, you're my guys, and I'm going to ride and die with you. And if anybody else wants to come in, because mm -hmm. this isn't an all-star team, this is a selection, a national team selection. So theoretically, uh, you pick the best team, not the best set of players, whatever you think is the best team. He's showing those players that if you're going to come in, you've got to be better. You've really got to make your mark. So as a player who's been there through that whole cycle, you, uh, you will feel indebted to that coach for giving you that confidence. Now, Haji Wright, I think himself and the fans – also wants to say, like, hey, if I can do it against El Salvador, yeah. I could show him I could do it against somebody in the World Cup. So you got Haji Wright all or nothing against El Salvador. Anybody else you got a keen eye on? Yeah, Cameron Carter-Vickers. And uh, like Haji Wright, this is really uh, his World Cup test. Now, Cameron Carter-Vickers, I'm going to bring up the name Aaron Long. And the reason I'm going to bring up Aaron Long is because Greg Berhalter is very high on Aaron Long. He's made, in his, he's made him his captain throughout, throughout his tenure uh, many times. Uh, when he came back from his Achilles injury, he's given him every benefit of the doubt to earn his roster position back. So knowing you have a player like that, that the coach wants to play with Walker Zimmerman, in my eyes, it's Chris mm -hmm. Richards. But maybe in Greg Berhalter's mind, it's Aaron Long. And if that's the case, if you're Cameron Carter-Vickers, you are trying to earn a spot versus somebody who's already in an ideal position for the head coach. You've got to do it here. Yep. It, it's not at Celtic. It's not when you're away. It's right here. It's in Cuscatlan. It's against El Salvador. Because if not, there is no tomorrow for you. Speaking of Carter Vickers, he did just complete that uh, permanent move to Celtic, so it should open some things up for him in the fall. How about a quick shot for Ethan Horvath? Uh, to me, he's a guy that, that could really, yeah. really take advantage of this opportunity. I think of the goalie situation. You look at Zach Steffen, where he is right now. Again, there could be a move. We know Matt Turner's at Arsenal. Uh, Samba, who's the starter at Nottingham Forest, six days ago told the club, I'm not going to resign. I want to leave this summer. Right now, Ethan Horvath, has the best chance of anybody, as I see it, of being a Premier League starter next season. Hurt, and if he is and the other two are not, isn't it, isn't it almost impossible at that point not to make him the number one? I mean, Especially it, if he has a good game against El Salvador here. Seb, can I be frank with you? Uh, let's, let's just for one second, the, the elephant in the room. If, if he wasn't good enough to be the number one at the championship, why are they going to keep him as the number one in the Premier League? 
Like, I, I think Nottingham Forest is going to go out and get another goalkeeper. I think it's just natural. That doesn't mean he doesn't deserve a shot with the U.S. men's national team. He's done well when he's played with the U.S. men's national team, but there is a reality to the situation right now revolving Ethan, um, Horvath, Ethan Horvath, excuse me. Uh, Sean Johnson played against Uruguay. It wasn't Ethan Horvath. So you've got to yeah. be wondering where Greg Berhalter's mind is right here. Hey, between the two of them, in your mind, who's ahead? Ethan Horvath. I, I love Sean Johnson, uh, but there's something to be said about being there in Europe, fighting for a spot every single day. Yeah. And also, Ethan Horvat, when they most needed him, was huge in a final, in a final for Civil War versus Mexico. All right, let's run it back with a little Jordan P. Fox celebration news. That's right, Jordan P. Fox, the golden boot winner uh, in Switzerland and honored by his club, Young Boys, draped in the American flag. You got to love that, Her. about that outfit? My man, look at that. That is style. He's got a little American flag on him. Yeah, look at that. Honor him. What did he score? 22 goals? That's all he did was banging goals. This guy deserves a second chance. I know fans aren't too high on him because of that uh, Aztec, excuse me, miss. Yeah, he might uh, deserve a second chance. He might also deserve a big move. Uh, he's been linked among other clubs with Mönchengladbach and Borussia Dortmund. So keep an eye on that. We will be doing all summer. From running back to you, got CONCACAF. Let's check in on Panama and their Danish manager, Thomas Christensen, who saw red both literally and figuratively in this match against Martinique. <laughs> what kind of Javier Aguirre is this? <laughs> Javier Aguirre or, or Piojo Herrera? Oh, a little bit of both. You remember Javier Aguirre Gold Cup yeah. where he got into it with the uh, Honduran player? Yeah, this is, look, you may have been trying to play the ball back to him, but you can't put your hands on a player. Oh. Pasión, determinación y constancia es lo que te hace campeón y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby. eBay Motors tiene lo que necesitas para darle mantenimiento a tu vehículo y para llegar hasta el rendimiento máximo. Desde sobrealimentadores, sistemas de sonido, tubos de escape, luces LED y más. Si buscas velocidad, potencia o estilo, lo encontrarás todo en eBay Motors. Con más de 122 millones de piezas, siempre encontrarás justo lo que buscas. Y con Guaranteed Fit de eBay, tienes la garantía de que tu pieza quede perfectamente a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, quemas llantas y no tu dinero. Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo eBay Motors, eBayMotors.com. Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. Mexico launching their CONCACAF Nations League campaign with a 3-0 victory over Suriname, ranked 141st in the world, ranked number one, number one on our list of favorite guests here on Football Americas. Joining us right now, Mauricio Pedrosa, who is back from, what, Champions League duty, European vacation? My man, you've been everywhere. <laughs> Hey, I had to take a small break for hanging out every single day with Herc. I know you understand what I'm saying, Seb. I needed a break. I needed a two-week break, but I'm back. Wow. Two weeks? That's all you needed. Boy, I might have made it a, a month-long sabbatical uh, if I was trying to cleanse myself of all things Hercules you Gomez. Famous. Unbelievable. There it is. There it is. <laughs> that that, that uh, very, very small ego of Hercules Gomez. All right, let's start with the story of Marcelo Flores, no? Uh, shall we? He was subbed on for Diego Lainez in the 81st minute of this game. He played uh, the last 10 minutes, certainly left his mark. Uh, can't discuss that. Key moment, though, comes in the 84th minute. Just before that, he set up. Uh, the penalty 
but he's given the chance to convert and of course misses. Uh, as you heard from Tata Martino, the 18-year-old in tears after the game and it leads us to our first of three questions. Mao, what does this penalty miss mean for Marcelo Flores' World Cup hopes? Well, I think if anything, it helps his chances to make the 26-man roster, and here is why. For the past couple of years, we have heard the so-called legends of the Mexican national team, like Rafa Marquez, Pavel Pardo, our very own Jared Borghetti, saying that this team lacks personality, that this team lacks character. Well, the one thing that Marcelo Flores showed, not only because of taking the penalty, but the 10 minutes that he was on the pitch was exactly that. And the fact that the stage was not too big for him, the lights were not too bright for him, and he was convinced to take the penalty, playing for the first time in front of the Mexican crowd, I think that speaks volumes of how much of a confident guy this is. So whenever you think of a World Cup roster, I want those type of players with a lot of character, a lot of personality. The fact that he missed it is just part of the anecdote. But I think it speaks volumes of who he is. And if anything, it should increase his, it should increase his chances of making the World Cup. You know, it, it is everything. And for multiple reasons. Could you guys imagine if he did make the penalty? Could you imagine the noise on social media, the noise by the Mexican press? Marcelo must play. In 10 minutes, he did what many of these guys in four years have not done in the Mexican national team, the way he affects the game. Look at Marcelo in an era where all we hear from Tata Martino is, be patient. He's mm. a player for the future, not right now. Look at him on the field. You finally give him minutes, and look what he does. But he missed it. So now Tata Martino... Hey, hey, pump the brakes. He's a kid, emphasizes the kid. Pump the brakes, be patient. Long career ahead of him. Not right now. This, in Tata Martino's mind, validates his decision. Oh, he was over-eager. The kid was over-eager. He shouldn't have been the one to step up. But if he would have made that, the clamoring would have been out of the roof. But he missed it. And because he missed it, Tata Martino feels validated in his decision of being patient with the kid. I see you there, Mal. Go ahead. I cannot believe that Hercules Gomez is implying that Tata Martino was happy no. that Marcelo Flores missed that penalty. No, I never but, said happy. What Herc is saying right now is that with the moment Marcelo missed the penalty, Tata Martino internally went like this. Have you seen the meme of the two-faced girl? Like his outer face, very sad interface smiling like this that's what i thought of tata martino after listening to hercules gomez and i get it i get it tata martino doesn't want to have marcelo flores around him i'm convinced that he called them up in order for pundits like us to say listen and sponsors now and sponsors talking to me about and, marcelo flores hey, look listen their their obligations their yeah, obligations right. the mexican national team marcelo flores is a great player. Mm -hmm. Barcelo Flores was the only player I heard the crowd chanting for at the TSM in Torreon. While they were screaming, Fuera Tata, they were also yelling, Marcelo, Marcelo. <laughs> he gave the people what they wanted. But Tata inside obviously feels validated by this. He even referenced him as the kid. Like, Be patient. 
I was about to say, you definitely heard those, those chants at the end of the first half, right? The, the Fuera Tata. It, it is clear that every time Tata Martino talks about this player, he's almost like hinting to us, right? That, hey, he's not ready now. He's not ready now. It's the rhetoric that we keep seeing. So does this penalty miss mean he's not going to make the World Cup? Absolutely not. I think in many ways it, it sounds like that's already decided. You see a kid crying at 18 years old for missing a penalty, and you wonder if he felt that, right? If, like, he felt that missing that penalty might have been a, a deciding factor in, in his spot at the World Cup. You guys will correct me here. I think the only the only pathway here for Flores into a World Cup spot is first team minutes at Arsenal by, what, September, October, which at this point, if we're being honest, Mauricio seems like an impossibility. And, and, and maybe not even that. Maybe even if he sees some minutes with Arsenal's first team, I think Tata Martino has made his decision. He's not going to be a part of the World Cup. You guys Cup are roster. crazy. He's, he's going to be in that pl- on that plane if he's getting first team minutes for Arsenal. Come on. If, if, that's what I said, it's very unlikely that he'll be getting those first team minutes by September, October. Let's talk about Herc, the player that Marcelo Flores replaced in the 81st minute. Diego Lainez, who drew a penalty converted by Henry Martin for Mexico's second goal. Mauricio, what do you think? Does Diego Lainez need to start for Mexico moving forward? No! Why? Diego Lainez needs to start for a club first in order for us to think that he has a chance to start for the Mexican national team. And I know, I'm, I, I see Herc's face, I, I listen to you, but I'm watching you as well, and I know what your reaction is going to be. And you know you're not going to find a bigger Diego Lainez fan than me. Well, maybe Seb, but other than <laughs> Seb and me, you're not going to find any other bigger Diego Lainez fan around the world. But the fact that he hasn't played regularly at Betis, I think that's giving Tata Martino also the hint that he cannot start for the Mexican national team. Who, who, Who's he going to replace? Chucky Lozano? It's not going to happen. Tecatito Corona? Ain't going to happen. So I think he should be a bigger part of the roster, maybe the first sub when things are going south for the Mexican uh, national team. But right now, there's no way Diego Lainez has the starter tag in this team. Seb, uh, you want to take that Tecatito one? Yeah, I was, I was surprised <laughs> that, that we see Tecatito as immovable. Or you just think that Diego Lainez can overtake Tecatito. On, on, on a debate, it's really hard, Herc, to make the case. I, I will defend Mao a little bit here. Logically, it's very hard to make the case that a guy who starts pretty regularly for Sevilla should not be starting ahead of a guy who forgets but, starting for Betis. But can't even get into the 18. But what, what? I would say about, about Mexico is Mexico needs a change in the attack. And if it's not going to be Raul, which Tata has told us it's basically not, and I don't think it could be Chucky, then, then the movable piece in the Tridente has to be Tecatito. And I, I at this point, maybe Mao uh, and Herc, I'll, I'll let you dive in first here. Maybe it's a sign of the desperation around Mexico that we're even considering this. But to me, and I'll put my fan hat on here, there is desperation. I would like to see Diego Linus start, Herc. Yeah, yeah. Start, yeah, why not? Because you spoke about, Mao, the players that you – play regularly for their club, and that's what you need to do. How many of them actually play well for their club when they play regularly? Right now, Mexico's in a situation where the players aren't in form, but there happens to be one player, no matter if he plays or doesn't, usually doesn't play, that when he puts on the green shirt and he comes on, even if as a sub, he changes the game. The one player with the ability, 1v1, 
to beat a person, to create his own separation, to cause havoc, to draw penalties. Every single time he puts the jersey on. It's not Tecatito Corona. There are two versions of Tecatito Corona. The Sevilla version, which is very good, and the El Tri, the Mexico version, where you're just like, oh man, I can't believe how bad he is. But there is one version of Diego Linus with that green jersey, and it's the game changer version. And that type of playmaker is, there are few and far between for Tata Martino. Mal? You talk about Diego Lainez like he's Kylian Mbappé or no, like his uh, no, Ronaldo no, phenomenon. No, 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 Sorry, this is no. Diego Lainez. And, 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 and I know you're going to go back to just the one game against the U.S. men's national team. Diego Lainez came in as a sub and was fantastic, was awesome. Other than that, do you remember any other game in oh. which by the end we said, my goodness, Diego Lainez was the best player on the pitch? Because, no, we don't have yeah, those many examples. Panama at the Azteca when he drew the penalty kick to win the game for Raul. Panama in Azteca when he drew the penalty kick to win the game for Raul. Diego Linus comes on, you pay attention. Diego Linus is on the ball, defenders are on their heels. Diego Linus is in the lineup, you expect something from him. When have we said that about Tecatito? How long has it yeah. been? Uh, all, oh, all, all the time. Like, all the time. That once the Catito Corona is on the ball, we expect magic to happen. It has to happen regularly, fine, but it also hasn't happened regularly even with Diego Linus on the field. So the fact that Diego Linus should be considered the savior of the Mexican national team whoa, whoa, to whoa, me whoa, whoa, whoa. is baffling because yeah, that has you're, to you're be the case. You're putting you words in the mouth of, the, of, of, of Sebastian club, and words and, in my mouth. Nobody's saying that. What we are saying is if you don't change something, if you implying. keep things the same that's way, way, that's exactly what you're don't implying. Expect this, don't expect different results. Don't expect different results from a trident, from a tridente that scored zero goals together. Okay, uh, we got to leave Lainez alone for a minute. Yeah, but because I'm going to start my best 11. Tecatito Corona is part of my best 11. After all, I think we all agree Lainez will be on the plane to Qatar. The next three players I'm going to bring up, I think it's a very yeah. different situation. But all these three were starters uh, in the 3-0 victory against Suriname. Rodolfo Pizarro, Sebastián Córdoba, and Luis Romo. You got to cut one. Drop them from the World Cup discussion today. Mao, who are you dropping? This is very, very easy. That's Sebastián Córdoba. Uh, many reasons. I'm going to focus just in a couple of reasons for that. Number one, uh, of that group of three players, he's the one who sees the least, the least minutes for his club. He barely played for Tigres. It was a bad move for Sebastián Córdoba. Rodolfo Pizarro and even Luis Romo, they're playing more minutes with Rayados de Monterrey. Even if those minutes are not great, they're still playing more than Sebastián Córdoba. Number two, Sebastián Córdoba, where is he going to play? Is he going to play over Andrés Guardado? No. Over Guti? Of course not. So there's no other place on the field in which you can play Sebastián Córdoba. To me, he's not going to be a part of this team. The other two play more which means they have no excuse for playing that poorly. Luis Romo's 27 years old. The chances of him going just for the experience and maybe doing something down the line in 2026 are remote, okay? If that's it, if what you want to take him there is for cover, is for somebody who maybe might play and get an experience, take Nene Beltran, take Charlie Rodriguez, take Luis Chavez. Luis Romo a year ago was the best player in Liga MX. He stayed in Mexico instead of going to Europe 
for the money with Monterrey, with Rayados. He's been a shadow of himself. The one play I keep going over and over again in my mind, Suriname, that game right there for Suriname, it's, it's a give and go, a wall pass that Diego Linus wants to play with him that he shows, and it bounces off the guy's chin. He, for some reason, wasn't expecting a play that he should have been expecting. <laughs> He's not in good form right now. Luis Romo is a shadow of himself. There is no playing anywhere in that midfield over anybody. I don't care if it's Hector Herrera that's gassed or Andres Guardado that's almost 47 years old. He ain't playing in front of any of those guys. So why take the oldest player of the bunch? All right, so Mouse cutting Cordova. Herc's cutting Luis Romo. I'm going to cut the guy who I feel like we've seen the most of, who's gotten the most opportunities under Tata Martino, and that's Rodolfo Pizarro. I mean, I'm sorry. Every time this guy gets a chance, he fails to impress. And at this point, against Suriname, I mean, he's not getting it done in Liga Mekis. He's not an impact player. He's not an impact player in Major League Soccer. He's not an impact player in CONCACAF. Nations League against the 141st ranked team in the world. What more do we need to see from Rodolfo Pizarro to say this player who Herc once labeled the most talented of his generation is not that guy. Now, how much longer are we going to hold out hope for Pizarro? Well, this, that, that's a tricky question because Tata Martino really likes there Rodolfo you go. Pizarro. And he has given him a lot, a lot of chances. So he, he puts a lot of trust in him. To me, the difference is this. Maybe Tata Martino is thinking Rodolfo Pizarro has the it factor, right? We, we've seen it not very often, but we've seen it from him. He can change the pace of the game. That's probably why he's getting so many chances with the team. He can play in front, from the left-hand side, from the right-hand side. I don't know. That's maybe the only reason why he's part of that. My, my first option, to be honest with you, was Rodolfo Pizarro. But then I thought how high Rodolfo, eh, Gerardo Martino thinks of Rodolfo Pizarro. That's why I changed my pick to Sebastián Córdoba. But yeah, I mean, he, he has, we have seen a lot of times, a lot of minutes, a lot of plays, a lot of games with the Mexican national team. And nothing really much to show for. Yeah, play the man here, Tata Martino. Tata Martino labeled him the best player in the Gold Cup that Mexico won. Tata Martino, when he needed a nine, he put Rodolfo Pizarro as a false nine. Tata Martino keeps yeah. giving him opportunities because he values him. So play the man here. Out of the three, I think Rodolfo Pizarro is the guy least likely to be cut for Tata Martino. Mm. Wow. Okay, I might have thought it was Luis Roma. There he is, Mauricio Pedrosa. Great stuff. As always, great to have you here on Football Americas. Adios, amigos. There he goes. Now, let's get some good news for Mexico, huh? The youth national team playing against a Colombia third-place game, the Toulon tournament, and they won. Uh, goals from Santiago Munoz and Efrain Alvarez, the difference. There we go. El Paso represent. Hey, what's in the water in El Paso, man? They, they've got some players. They got some players. LA Galaxy got some players as well. Efra's had a good tournament in this one, hadn't he? Yeah, he's scoring some goals. Listen, Efra's got that quality about him. Nobody can negate the quality that he has. It's a sweet one-time finish. You just want to see it consistently from him. Yeah, so there it is. Mexico over Colombia in the third place game at the Maurice Revelo tournament. And uh, Mexico taking home some bit of hardware for their efforts in the south of France. Liga Mekis friendly action coming up on uh, Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN Plus and on ESPN Deportes. On uh, ESPN Plus, it'll be in English, Chivas against Santos, Herc and I on the call. So do not miss that right here on ESPN Plus.
10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Okay, Hart, the 2026 World Cup may well be four years away, but we are just three days away from finding out which cities are going to actually be hosting the game. So we're going to help beef out a little bit. Right here on Football Americas, we're going to do our very own version of a World Cup host city draft. My man, what do you think? Are you ready? I, I'm in, and, and just let the people know I've already won the coin toss, so I got oh, number yes. one. Okay, you do have the uh, the number one pick. Here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it like a, like a fantasy football draft, right? Where you snake, so Herc will get uh, odd number picks. I'll get the even number picks. We'll pick the top 10 cities, because we know there'll be at least 10 US cities. There could be actually more, so we'll give Herc a bonus pick at the end uh, for somebody who is left out. All right, her number one pick in the World Cup host city draft for U.S. cities that have bid to host. Who are you taking? I am taking the city of angels, Los Angeles, California, my man. And I don't care if it's Pasadena in the Rose Bowl. A lot of history there. 94 final, women's 99 final. Or if you want to go SoFi Stadium Ooh. in Inglewood. All the bells and whistles. I know there's maybe some things you need to do to the field, make it standardized, all that. But you cannot go wrong with Los Angeles. You cannot go wrong with California. That's, uh, that's who I'm taking, L.A. Okay, and real quick, if it is LA, which which site did you prefer, new or old? I kind of prefer new. Keep it in the ah, South Bay. Oh, there it is. Keep it the in the home South port Bay. Advantage. He loves the, the shiny new things out there in Los Angeles. All right, so I got the second pick here. I'm gonna bring it back to the East Coast, as I am an East Coast guy. I'm going New York, New Jersey. I mean, pretty obvious, right? We got to get LA. We got to get New York in there. So I think those probably had to be, uh, if not your first two picks pretty close to the top five. I think New York, New Jersey, Herc is a pretty good bet too to like host big games. I think yeah. you could very easily see a final in an LA. You could see a final in a New York, New Jersey as well. So I'm going there with my first pick and the second overall pick in our World Cup host city draft. Number three, Herc, to you. My number two pick, number three overall, Hercules Gomez is selecting Seattle, Washington, <laughs> Lumen Field. Now, Listen to this, okay? Listen to this. You want to celebrate a World Cup in your country. Celebrate it where there's history, where they embrace it, where it's part of the fabric of its everyday life. I'm talking about the Seattle area. I'm talking about Lumen Field. I'm talking about showing off Emerald City, what that great soccer plaza is all about. There are a few places I've been in the States where the soccer is so rich and so emphatically celebrated, like Seattle. Yes, there it is, today's edition of Sounders TV. Seattle, a great choice. I don't know if I would have had them third overall. Uh, but I can't uh, let you pick them. Perk gets Seattle in there at number three. Okay, so my pick, my second pick, fourth overall, I'm going with the city of Miami. I think there's a lot of people when, you know, people from not the United States, from outside the United States, when they think of the U.S., they might think of L.A. or New York. 
I think if, especially if you go down into Latin America, when you ask people what they think of the U.S., they're going to tell you Miami. Like, Miami is the United States for a lot of people. In South you've, America, for sure. You, you've got to be in Miami. You know, Messi's going to be there playing for Inter Miami. Ronaldo's going to be there for Inter Miami. You're going to want them in the stands for these games. Uh, Miami has to be there. Uh, they've got to be, for me, a top five pick. So I got them in there at, at number four. Who are you going with at number five? Nightlife uh, Sebi has spoken. All right. Uh, I'm going at number five. <laughs> South Beach Seb. South Beach Seb, exactly. I'm going to Dallas, baby. Let's keep it in Texas. All things are bigger and greater in Texas, right? Well, one of the biggest stadiums. What about the temperatures, In bro? the States. Oh, it's <laughs> dome. This will be dome. Don't start with the temperatures. Did you see what they were playing in Qatar today? Okay. Oof, yes, it was in the, in the high 90s. That's what it'll be like in summer in some of these cities anyway. So let's not go there. Texas, AT&T Stadium. Jerry Jones, Jerryland. That's what we're taking it to. You can't negate Dallas. Talk about rich soccer history, talk about Latino population, talk about mm -hmm. infrastructure, everything you need, it's there. Yeah, definitely. Love, love Dallas as a pick. They're in at number five and number six. I'll keep us in the great state of Texas, Herc. I'm going Houston. You know, I got some, some personal ties to Houston. Spent a couple years there, 2013, 2014, covering the Houston Dynamo, Houston Dash. I know that market well. It's a, it's a really great market for hosting huge events. One, you have two massive airports, which is key for getting yeah. people uh, in and out. You got every facility you could want. And I think a lot of times when we think about soccer diversity in this country, we think Latino and, and great. There's a huge population from the African diaspora in Houston. So you hmm. put games there, you're gonna have a, a lot of people who are from the, the, the countries in Africa that have qualified who can make it to their games. So I think Houston is a, a key city. I cannot see them not getting this piece. What is that, NRG Stadium? NRG, yeah, okay. yeah where, the, uh, where the Texans play. All right, so we got them in there at number six. Number seven, your pick. Where are you going? I'm going to Mercedes-Benz. I'm going to Atlanta. Listen, a lot of this is fueled by the popularity of the sport because of Atlanta United. Mm -hmm. Insane support, an explosion of popularity for the sport. And it's also a logistical hub. I mean, the airport has flights all over the world, direct flights. It's, it's centrally located. It'll be easy to get to. Uh, our producer is saying great wings. Does he mean that about Atlanta? Beto. Okay, okay, he says there's a place. Okay, I didn't know that Atlanta was like famous for its wings, but yes, okay. Uh, I've had some, we'll, we'll dig into Atlanta's wing scene in another episode of uh, of Football Americas. All right, my night, ticket number nighttime eight. wings is, is what I'm hearing in my head. Yes, oh, well, you know, at, at nighttime, all wings, are, uh, all wings are great. My pick here at number eight, I'm bringing us back to the East Coast. Uh, I'm going with Philadelphia. Now, as a DC guy, it's a little tough to pick Philly, uh, but again, a, a perfect hub a perfect hub in terms of travel. You're perfectly situated right there on I-95. You can get to New York very quickly. You can get down to Washington, Baltimore, who are also in the race for hosting very quickly. I think Philly is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sports town on top of that. Uh, you got huge immigrant populations there, so Philly for me gets a, an obvious vote in there at number eight. Herc, number nine to you. So uh, last pick, I could have easily gone with, you know, Kansas City. But, uh, you know, Arrowhead's old. I could have gone with Denver, but, you know, the old Mile High Stadium and whatnot. Uh, I went with Levi's Stadium in San Francisco, California. Actually, it's in Santa Clara, but I went with the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. I went with the Bay Area. It's the second Cali one. I just think it makes sense. It's a beautiful stadium. It's a beautiful climate uh, town, if you will. I gave it to Cali, so just because I wanted to. There you go. So Herc putting uh, two California cities 
into our top 10 for this World Cup host city draft. All right, so I got the last pick of the top 10. We're gonna give a bonus pick here just in case FIFA decides to award uh, another spot to a US city. Let me check first here who's left. We got Orlando, Denver, Nashville, Kansas City, Boston, and DC Baltimore, which is a combined bid. Last pick, bro, what do you think I'm gonna do here? I'm bringing it in for the 202 and Washington DC. Now I'll actually say this, I'll actually say this with a bit of shame. It is pathetic that Washington DC couldn't stand alone and have its own bid. It's the freaking nation's capital. We don't even have a real, we don't really have a stadium even where you could host this. The, the best bet right now is in Maryland and, and that's not really an option. So it's a combined bid with Baltimore. Thank goodness Baltimore has the infrastructure, they can host soccer. The one thing you have in Washington, you got the National Mall. So the idea of like a, a thousand or maybe million people watch party for a big US game on the mall, just for that alone and because it's my hometown, I'm sliding DC in there at number 10. Herc, you have the final word. One more choice. Again, your, your, your choice here is between Boston, Kansas City, Nashville, Denver, Orlando and Cincinnati. Who are you going with? I can't believe you didn't pick Boston. Well, that's unbelievable. So let me be the one to pick Cincinnati. You didn't pick Boston. I'm picking Cincinnati. And let me tell you why. Uh, because a state that has meant so much for U.S. soccer, yes. the Mecca, Ohio, deserves a game. And Columbus ain't up there. It would have been Columbus for me. But I'm going to give it to Cincinnati, which this will make it officially the... 187th yeah. game this year that Cincinnati's yes. been granted for U.S. soccer. Come on, man. Come on. But Ohio deserves it. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say Ohio doesn't deserve it. Everybody deserves it. But No, do everybody need, does do not deserve more, it. Do we need more games in Ohio? Do everybody more, does not do deserve it. we need more it. trips to Ohio, Herc? I mean, you D.C. I, doesn't I even have like, its own stadium. Why does it yeah, deserve it? That's what they because it's the nation's capital, bro. You gotta you gotta visit the nation's capital. <laughs> you Come gotta on, visit that's the part of the capital. story of, a, of visiting a World Cup. You're gonna go to a, a foreign. We went to Moscow. We, what, did, did they yeah. not have games in Moscow and Russia? Come on, man. Yeah. Please, yeah. a little respect here for the nation's freaking capital. All right, uh, Herc doesn't Herc doesn't want to do it. There we go. It's our top ten list. Who did we leave out? Denver, Orlando, Nashville, uh, Kansas City, and Boston. We're very, very sorry. We, we promise I'm not we sorry. still love you here uh, at Football Americas. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Let's keep on the path to Qatar. One of the final tickets to be handed out tomorrow. Costa Rica preparing for their World Cup qualifying playoff against New Zealand. That'll go down Wednesday in Qatar. Of course, uh, Australia and Peru uh, playing to a penalty shootout. On Monday, Australia getting that ticket. Costa Rica fourth out of CONCACAF and trying to qualify to a third consecutive World Cup for the first time ever. With more on Los Ticos, let's send it to Leon Lecanda from Qatar. 
Hi, Sebi and Eric. Greetings from Hamad Bin Ali Stadium here in Al Rayyan, Qatar, like 15 miles away from Doha, the capital of this country that will host the next FIFA World Cup in November and December. Tonight, Australia and Peru are playing the first of the two international qualification playoffs for deciding which teams are going to be at the next World Cup. And tomorrow we will be watching the game between Costa Rica and New Zealand for deciding the last team that will be in the next World Cup. Uh, prior in the day, Brian Reese spoke at a press conference and here's what he said. Well, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say, but for everyone, I think years ago, New Zealand, it was not so difficult uh, because it was two games uh, home and away and the football it was not the, 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 the first sport for, for New Zealand. But now it's totally different. Now we see New Zealand playing and it's very organized team, uh, has a players that can, can be very dangerous, uh, has very strong the, the defenders. So I think for us the level of them is, 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 is very good. For me it's a 50-50 game tomorrow. As I say, don't misunderstand me, years ago it will be a 70-30%. Uh, but for me tomorrow is a 50-50. So uh, New Zealand has all the respect from, for me and for Costa Rican team and players. And uh, I wish you all the best, but I hope Costa Rica is going to qualify tomorrow. So with 17 years of experience at the national team of Costa Rica, Brian Ruiz just confirmed what he said a few months ago, that he will be retiring at the end of the year, even if Costa Rica qualifies for the next World Cup. And don't be surprised if head coach Luis Fernando Suarez uses a line of five defenders in the back with Oscar Duarte, Francisco Calvo and Kendall Waston at the center backs for facing tomorrow against New Zealand and try to qualify to the next World Cup. Back to you guys, to Football Americas. All right, great stuff there from our man Leon out in Qatar bringing us the report. Here's what the SPI says. Costa Rica favorite, but um, Herc just according to the SPI. The odds, they tell us a little different story, but uh, wow. as far as CONCACAF folks go, right, we're, we're all Ticos in this game. Yeah, yeah, but that's a stark contrast between the SPI and those odds. Wow. Uh, Who are you taking? Who are you taking? Well, I'll go with Costa Rica because anytime you have a, a guy like Keylor Navas back there, it's almost a guarantee. And the way they closed out qualifying, that's a very good defensive team. And then Joel Campbell on the break. Yeah, I'll take Costa Rica. All right, I'm with you. Costa Rica against New Zealand from Qatar on Wednesday. Major League Soccer News, Ronnie Dyla, the manager for defending champion New York City FC, is bolting midseason, Herc. He's headed to Standard Liège in Belgium. Nick Cushing named the interim replacement. New York City sit first in the Eastern Conference through the first 13 games of the season. Herc, is this a bad look for Dyla to jump ship mid-season? Nah, if anything, it's a bad look for New York City. Like, they couldn't oh. keep him because they paid the, the clause. I mean, he had six more months on his deal, and he mm -hmm. would have walked out. It's a good piece of business for New York, absolutely. But you have to wonder why they couldn't come to terms with it. Regardless, Standard Liège is a very good team in Belgium as far as being a big name. Bring him back to their promised land, if you want. He's taking Efrain Juarez with them, the Mexican ex-Mexican international assistant coach with them. Uh, I will say, for those who think it's a bad look for Major League Soccer, Mm -hmm. This is what you want. This is what you're aspiring for, for players, well, also for coaches. It could be a stepping stone for bigger and better. And if they met the price, they met the price. Now, 
they've got a penchant for bringing in very good coaches. Patrick Riviera, uh, Dominic Torrant. Uh, they, they, they've brought in good coaches before. Ronnie Delia. Uh, here's another opportunity. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad look for Dyla. Like, it's hard for us to sit here and say, hey, if there's a, an opportunity that you think is better, uh, you shouldn't go take it. I don't really think it's a bad look for New York City FC because clearly they have the money, right? Like, if, if he had wanted to stay, they would have been resourced enough to pay whatever the, the seven figures reported by Sam Stajko was that Standard Liège paid. If anything, I, I do think it's a little bit of a black eye on MLS. Um, not in terms of what you say, right? Of course, it, it means people are honoring what you've done in MLS. That's a sign of growth. But man, for the, for the defending champions to lose their coach midseason, and it's not a top five league. Like, is it okay if as an MLS fan, I'm a little bit like, wow, is, is Belgian soccer really that much better than MLS that it's worth leaving your team, Herc? Mid-season, I also wonder, and you've been in this spot from a player's standpoint, your coach leaves mid-season, that, that's not, that never feels good. Yeah, I always spoke about that. I think there are levels to it. If I'm on Colorado, if I'm in another market, I'm thinking, hey, what's going on here? But if I'm New York, this is what I want to see because this is why I'm here. It's the stepping stone to bigger and better. All right, there it is, uh, Ronnie Dylan moving on from Major League Soccer to Standard Liège in Belgium. MLS on television on Saturday. Got some good games actually. Uh, Seattle and LAFC. That one 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific on ABC. Over the air, also available for you in Spanish on ESPN Deportes. And then later Saturday, ah, another great game out west. LA Galaxy against the Portland Timbers. 5 p.m. Eastern time start there. 2 p.m. Pacific, game on ESPN in English, ESPN Deportes in Spanish. Perk, some huge news out your way this weekend. Kristen Press, in a game where she actually scored a goal and had an assist, came off injured for Angel City FC. It happened right around the 60th minute of their 3-2 win over Louisville on Saturday. The 33-year-old helped off the field by trainers and teammates, and she confirmed on Monday it is a torn ACL, likely to cost her the rest of the season. Bad timing all around, obviously, for Press, for Angel City FC, and especially with Monday's roster announcement for the U.S. women's national team. Vladko Anonofsky announcing his 23-player roster for upcoming World Cup and Olympic qualifying, of course, starting in Mexico on July 4th. Kristen Press not on the list, and Anonofsky saying it wasn't the injury that kept her off either. More on that later. Other news, Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan are back. Tobin Heath is not. The injury absences on this list, not insignificant. No Sam Mewis, Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Lynn Williams, Katarina Macario. You can add Crystal Dunn to that uh, list as well. She just gave birth. So the final list goes from 59 down to 23, which means some awfully tough choices. For more on those tough choices, we welcome into the show none other than Julie Foudy. Julie has been all over the place of late. She's been spending time, I think, at the Special Olympics. How was that? So fun. Oh, I got my little hat on. It was so fun. It's such good needed perspective. <laughs> Absolutely. It looked like you had a, a great time there, judging from what we saw on television and social media. All right, let's talk about this roster. But before we get into kind of the, the individual decisions, let's look at it um, big picture. We've been talking about the last, um, since the last Olympics, that this team needed a, a generational turnover. Was there enough of that turnover for you, Julie, uh, in this roster from the team that we saw take home bronze in Tokyo? Absolutely. I, I, this is all that Vlako Andonovsky has been geared towards since the Olympics, as we've seen. I mean, literally, this is the first time we've seen really a veteran presence 
And I, I'm not sure you could say it's even a full veteran presence, of course. I don't think he's ever going to go back to that uh, with this roster. So I do think he had to turn that page. We've talked a lot about the need to get younger, the need to get fresher, to bring in more energy. Um, and I think he's he's done that. I mean, the, the, the test, of course, will be not in these June games, but how they do in the July double qualifier, which acts as both a World Cup and an Olympic qualifier. Now, Julie, uh, aside from Kristen Press, there are some major surprises here for me. Uh, Megan Rapinoe in, uh, Tobin Heath out. Which one surprises you more? <laughs> Definitely Megan Rapinoe in surprises me more. I mean, neither of the two have been playing. I didn't think either was going to get in, honestly. Um, and Megan Rapinoe really just played her first half, in, you know, this last week. So only 154 minutes on the season, hasn't seen hardly any time. It tells you that that is how much Black Wendonofsky values her leadership and what she brings mm. to the team. Because when Megan Rapinoe is on the team, I tell you, there's a difference. You've heard young players say this all the time. There is a swagger to her mm. that makes them feel confident. And I think that is what he's looking to bring into this qualifying phase because they're so young. So it's interesting when we talk about Rapino, right? I think it's just four games so far in the NWSL regular season, maybe 154 minutes. Uh, it sounds from the press conference almost like Andonofsky and her had an agreement, right? That, hey, as long as she was anywhere near in shape, she would get called back in for this. I, I found that to be very interesting. As far as the role moving forward, Julie, for Rapino, do you see her as, as still being a starter? Or are we looking at Megan Rapino now as more of a super sub when we get to those games that really matter in the CONCACAF W Championship? Yeah. No, I, I absolutely do not see her as being a starter in these next coming months. I mean, maybe if she gets some time back on the field with mm. O.L. Reign and some minutes and can establish that. But no, she, I mean, she's been coming off injury and uh, setbacks. And so, I mean, there's no way she's 90 minutes fit as a starter. And I think, you know, what, you, what Megan Rapino brings, as we know, is, is this ability to come into a game and change a game and flip it on its head, whether it's through set pieces, whether it's through her individual skill. But we also know she can't do that for 90 minutes, nor does she, she uh, also she knows she can't do it for 90 minutes. That's the conversation she had with Vlaco and her saying, I'm okay with this role. I will work in a leadership capacity to make this team better in whatever role I have. All right, let's get to the elephant in the room. It's Kristen Press. You know, obviously with a torn ACL, she wasn't going to be able to play in this tournament. But what's really interesting is what Vladko Andonovsky said in his press conference explaining the decision to leave Press off. Because as I said, it's not down to the injury. Here's, here's what Vladko Andonovsky had to say. Kristen Press was not on the roster even before the injury. For Kristen to be back on the field, it's not just to do well or perform well in her club environment. It's also to outperform the players that she's competing against. And that would be players like Mallory Pugh, Sophia Smith, Alex Morgan, Ashley Hatch, and Trinity Rodman. All right, Julie, I was very surprised uh, that Vladko Andonovsky, one, was so honest and said it this way, but that he also didn't have Kristen Press in his, in his top 23. Do you think she deserved a spot uh, in that top 23 based on what she'd done so far for Angel City? I, I would have given her a spot um, based, if it was just based on, which is not, based on playing on uh, that top 23 over Megan Rapinoe, because as we know, Megan Rapinoe, as we just discussed, isn't going to get a lot of minutes. But what it says to me is 
that he values, as we were saying earlier, the leadership of Megan Rapinoe over the leadership of Kristen Press and the minutes that Kristen Press could give him. And it also tells me that he's very confident, as he should be, in Sophia Smith and Mal Pugh and how they've been playing. Obviously, Alex Morgan is uh, is leading the league with nine goals. You see Ashley Hatch doing well. She could score in so many different ways. And so um, I, I think that uh, if anyone, if the roster was going to be remade, the, the one I would leave off is Rapino and put press mm. in. Um, but I also understand like the leadership value of Rapino, And so I know that he got a lot of criticism on, on social media for how can you play this player when you've been saying, you know, that they need minutes and they have to show with their club form. But what it says to me is I value the leadership of Rapino over the leadership of press. And that is more important to me in this moment with these young players than getting press some minutes because he thinks he has enough already that's going. Wow. Uh, let's talk my favorite uh, subject. Let's talk nines. Let's talk the forwards. Let's talk the, the center forwards, the important ones here. Uh, Katerin Macario, obviously that injury puts her out of the mix, but she has a different skill set that I thought was putting her in contention for a starting role. So with her out of the mix, who do you see starting in these qualifiers in that nine position? I think you, you put Alex Morgan back in there. Even though she's been playing on the left side for San Diego, we know she can play in the nine. She's not going to play in the style that Katarino Macario plays because Kat loves to come deeper and play in almost a false nine and play make a lot more. You're going to get more slashing runs out of Alex Morgan. But she's playing well. She's confident. She's scoring goals. I think you have to start her in the nine, and then you're going to flank her with Mal Pugh on one side and Sophia Smith on the other. And that is a front three. That is just a handful for any team to handle. And, uh, uh, and, and then you go to your bench and you look, you got Mitch Purse, you got Trinity Rodman, you got Ashley Hatch, you have another front three you could throw out there. So I think the United States, even without press uh, and even without a Rip Megan Rapino who can go a lot of minutes, is in good shape up front. I'm thinking about backup options here, uh, you know, behind somebody like Alex Morgan. And I'm wondering, you know, what that option is, because before it would have been somebody like Katarina Macario, even if you went Morgan first. Uh, But now there's got to be a backup option. To me, Ashley Hatch is the obvious one. Am I wrong there? Yes. Yeah, Ashley Hatch, for sure. Yeah. And the thing that Vlako Andonovsky said about her today on the press conference was, hey, look, she can score goals and she can score them from anywhere. She scores them quickly. She doesn't need a lot of looks. And she's clean in her finishing, and she can score in so many different ways. So I think absolutely Hatch is the natural nine after Alex Morgan. All right, Julie, one more thing before we let you out of here. We had some history this weekend in the National Women's Soccer League. Olivia Moultrie, the 16-year-old, the youngest player ever in NWSL history to score a goal. She gets one in Portland's 4-0 victory over Houston. Love it. Love it. Little Sophia Smith to 16-year-old Olivia, who finally gets her chance. I know she's fought for this one for a long time, so to see her making history is great. She's a great kid. Very cool. Look at that. Very nice. When playing it out of the back goes wrong a little bit there for the uh, Houston Dash, but uh, great story there is the 16-year-old able to take advantage. All right, uh, Julie, great stuff as always. Yeah, definitely. Definitely from when she uh, first signed with with the Thorns. Where's your Angel City gear? Do we still not have it yet? I'm waiting. <laughs> I, I, you have my address. You have my address. We're still waiting. I, it, must be, it must be stuck in transit uh, oh somewhere there. Oh, my gosh. 
There we he is. Gotta, we we got to sort this out. I'm sorry, <laughs> Absolutely. Boys. Send us some of that sweet uh, Title IX 50-50 gear. I, I see that. I got you, you got your ESPNW <laughs> gear there as well. Julie is the, the gear queen. She just doesn't know how to dish it out. That's that's all we need. We need some we need some assist there instead of just the goals for Julie in the gear. All right, Julie, thanks so much. We hope to see you again soon here on the show. See you guys. All right, so uh, plenty coming on Thursday's edition of the show. We will have a full recap of the international window and the CONCACAF Nations League action for both the U.S. and Mexico, plus some big news out of the USL. We will have much more on that on Thursday's show. Do not miss it. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. Football Américas. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.